From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 762, Small Business on the Cloud with guest Ian Williamson. Recorded Tuesday, January 5th, 2021. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts, LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. My guest today is Ian Williamson, who is a senior consultant at IB Global, a strategic training and consulting firm. And there he manages the Sabre Business Simulation, which serves both academic and corporate customers. And he fills many other development and IT roles. And in a previous life, he did fluid dynamics R&D in the natural gas industry. Wait a second. So are you actually an engineer? I am. Yes. Yeah. Mechanical engineer okay. by training, Richard. Right. And then you you got too involved in the automation and technology stuff. And that took over your career. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. If you, usually there's somebody in any place, whether it's in the department or in a small business, who just is the kind of person who ends up being the one that gets stuck solving the IT problems sure. and doing a bit more development. And that kind of, that sums it up for me. Well, and it becomes fun, right? You know, and I think there's a new wave of this coming too with the, all the uh, power apps and the power automate and so forth. That they, that seems to be very contemporary technology around the cloud and so on that allows a domain expert, you know, say a fluid dynamics engineer just trying to put some automation to make their job a little easier and does it successfully and gets good at it. And then folks are like, hey, your ability to automate that stuff is even more important to us than your ability, you know, to model f- uh, fluid flow. So let's uh, let's get you to do more of that. That, yeah, and that that's a that's the nice version of the story. You know, the 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 not so nice version is I. You know, in the nineties, I was that guy, right, who was leaning on the IT department to open a port so I could collaborate with the team in Houston with NetMeeting, right? Which we've all back forgotten in the about. day, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I, you know, and I was the one reeling against these restrictions that allowed me or prevented me from putting my uh, or running my data acquisition software down in the lab. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you were a problem child for an IT know, person. I was. Oh yeah, no, no. And now I'm. On, I need you to poke holes in my firewalls. Like your security is for naught if I can't get my work done. Yeah, you were that guy. Exactly. Sorry, Bruce. <laughs> but uh, anyway, now I'm on the other side of the fence, right? I've gone from a big business to a smaller business, right? And now I'm the one who's, as you say, standing next to the server dealing with the the important IT issues. And I, you know, I, there's more responsibility, right? You, sure. you take the problem kid in, cl- in the class and put him in charge of something and now they have to. Yeah. Do you have a little more empathy for birth these days, I suspect? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> well, and it, and it, because it, there's a big difference between I'm trying to get my work done and I'm trying to protect the work that's getting done. Like that's a, a really interesting dynamic. But I do think that, especially in small business, the majority of IT is adjacent or emergent, right? It's, it's that it's something you do in addition to your work or you emerge with some ability and it becomes more and more important because it is such a powerful enabler. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, you just can't, uh, 
you know, you can't, you can't get away without having that IT ability somewhere in your organization, I think. And th- I guess in cases you could, you could bring someone in from the outside, but, but I, I really believe that if you have someone in house who knows what's going on, it allows you to connect the dots and realize what's possible, sure. what's not feasible, why you should, you know, pursue a different avenue. Well, and even when you bring someone in outside, somebody needs to shepherd that person. Somebody does need to be that domain expert. There's always going to be an exchange of knowledge. To some degree. And at some point, that person that is the liaison inside of the organization for the external IT service provider knows some things and you sort of become tier one tech support effectively. Yeah, exactly. And you, you're really the jack of all trades, master of one. Yeah. And that one is is your domain expertise. Yeah. You know, that's why you're there in, in the business. Uh, but in a small business, you haven't got the department no. you know, you, that you can just go and get help. You ha- you probably are a few departments. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I do believe in that whole sort of acknowledging I wear a bunch of hats here and shuffling between them too often. You know, the context switches cost something like I can only be a paranoid security guy like once a month. I can't do it all the time. It makes everybody crazy, including me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we've... Yeah. Yeah, we've certainly, I mean, we have kind of, we're now at that stage where we've moved to Microsoft 365. Mm -hmm. And so that's really put a new load on me as a, as the, the IT guy, as it were, to get up to speed on all the things that we need. And that's been an interesting experience. You know, I'm, I'm used to trying to learn from available documentation and, you know, be that kind of guy who's dangerous in a lot of areas, but, <laughs> <laughs> but useful still, right? Value, right? There's a lot of value there. So, and, uh, cause there's and, on the surface, you think, Oh, I'm moving to officer 65. My life's about to get easier. Uh, nice pause. The, like that pause a lot. It's like, <laughs> sure it is. Right. I think there is that sense, maybe just at the management level of we're offloading work. And I, and I don't think that it's true at all. You're certainly opening up a huge new surface area. Like there's a lot of stuff in there. Yeah, but it's a different kind of surface area, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the, a typical small business, right? If you're not already on Microsoft 365, you've probably got your email hosted with some provider. Maybe it's Pop or IMAP or perhaps hosted Exchange. Mm -hmm. You've got your, I don't know, Wix or WordPress site and, and you're kind of living, you know, floating you're you're hovering at a lower level here. You know right. you're you're not really uh, operating in a coherent manner from in terms of your IT setup. And eventually that sort of thing catches up, and you really do need to make an investment to say, okay, let's have a more organized approach to this. And and some of the drivers are just simply things like the threat, right. you know, the threats that are out there now. So from the point of view of ransomware, you know, being diligent users of OneDrive and having some story about what's on, you know, backed up in the cloud and not worrying about people's hard drives and ransomware getting on them. Right. That's, it it really, if you stop and think about it, doing your own thing on on the the, the DIY plan, uh, there's some risks there. Yeah, you know, you you're not, that's a tough level to bat at. Like, that's a full-time job to really lock things down in a big way. Any automation you can get to try and protect files and things is going to help you a lot. And we've done a few shows on like OneDrive for business. Like it's not a trivial thing to get that set up. Oh no, no. But it's, it's, um, it's interesting though, because people are, you know, even though people are operating with, you know, the old, let's call it pop email and and their WordPress site. Mm -hmm. Um, 
inevitably, especially in a small firm, you end up collaborating with organizations where you're joining Teams meetings, you're right. joining Zoom's meetings. You may be, you know, we have development work, there's work to be done in Azure. And so at some stage there, you're actually having to deal with the Microsoft infrastructure and and. You know, this is kind of the this, the part of the process for me of adopting teams that proved to be tricky was this business of having a, a Microsoft, nominally having a Microsoft account, right. but not really having a tenant and not really being part of the system. Hmm. And that actually made for kind of an interesting on-ramp for us. And I, so you already have, well, obviously, I mean, if you're working in the Microsoft space in any way, you've already got some Microsoft accounts before you get into this M365 account, which is going to change things and certainly like that migration of email addresses that you use as logins to microsoft versus the pop service you've signed up to like that man identity is a hard problem and i am still battling it i have too many email addresses and at least one of them is associated with microsoft long enough ago that i don't know that it has a country assigned to it and i am in identity hell like it's very difficult to get all those things untangled you ran into this problem. Absolutely, yeah. So we had all our email addresses were set up, you know, I'll call it, you know, en at iibd.com. Yeah. We had our uh, email address functionally working as a Microsoft account. Now, this is, just to be clear, this is a Microsoft account, not an organizational account. Right. Which, th that distinction wasn't even that obvious to me no. before we started this process. And uh, you know, for those who may be not familiar with that idea, the Microsoft account is with Microsoft more as a person. Mm -hmm. And if you have an issue with resetting your password or, or making a claim about your identity, you're doing it through Microsoft. Whereas an organization, a work or school account, you have your own tenant, you have your own Azure AD set up, and that is the where your identity is. Right. And so the interesting thing that happens is a small business who's coming from this, I'll call it the WordPress pop kind of setup, mm -hmm. is you've already got a Microsoft account uh, by doing these other things within the Microsoft environment that's based on your own business email address. Right. And the interesting thing that happens in the background is that Microsoft creates a shadow or a, a, an unmanaged tenant, and then they add your domain as the directory in this unmanaged tenant. Hmm. And I'm, I spent a lot of time digging and stumbled across this reference to unmanaged tenants and realized, oh, this must explain why I've had some very strange experiences when I'm trying to do things in Azure DevOps or have somebody collaborate with me because we, both myself and my colleagues had had some real frustrations with this. And it all became clear once we moved to, you know, started the move to Microsoft 365, set up the organization. We have to do this sort of internal takeover of our of our directory, our, our domains directory. Wow. And yeah, and it takes total sense the moment you say that. It's like, obviously, you have these existing yeah. accounts. But at some point when you assign, when you sign up for M365 and you become a managed tenant, there needs to be a takeover. Now those accounts are associated to this. Well, it, it's it's not that they get moved over, though. Oh. You, you then have, when you go through this process, you have two identities based on the same email address. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, if you tried to out of the box, if you're a, you know, if you've already got yourself set up as, uh, under Microsoft 365 or some uh, organizational account, mm -hmm. you cannot go and create a Microsoft account with that email address. It'll right. come back and say, uh, no, uh, this looks like it's being used for a worker school account. You can't do that. 
But coming in the back door as a small business, I mean, I, I think this must be a very common path. Coming in the back door, there's no there's no obstacle like that. Right. So now the 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 thing that worked for us was going back into our personal work Microsoft accounts, if you can call them that. Right. <laughs> going into the information, you know, your personal information, and change the sign in alias. Create a new email address and somehow disassociate that. Um, that original work email address from the personal Microsoft account that you had been happily living under for the uh, the, the years preceding. Interesting. That point. So it's better to change those old personal accounts to a different email address to get your primary email address into the tenant. I think so, but not having I, I haven't discovered the pitfalls of right. doing that trend. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I mean, I've certainly had that issue where you know you set up your M three sixty five account and you give give it a funny email address you don't want to use. I do feel like you kind of want to stick with that for a while, well, you know, while you're still in this migration process. Don't pull those other email addresses across until you have some confidence that you're able to retire those old accounts. But I really like this idea of actually it makes more sense to do an inventory to go through those old accounts and move them on to a less important email. Yeah. 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 And that, I think in the, in the, I gave you a link. There's a, there's a, you know, the link about this unmanaged tenant thing. There is mm -hmm. a place where you can, uh, I don't have the link in the name of the link in front of me here, but there's a, there's a link where you can check, you know, a place where you can check if it's an unmanaged tenant. Right. You'd put in your email address. It's just sort of like an API endpoint and you can see, whether that is in fact managed or unmanaged. So yeah, I'll def absolutely include that link in the show notes because it's it's one of those it's a voodoo piece, right? To just know that there is this is known, and you can yeah. you can look at this if you want to. All right, so this seems like the most important thing to get right, and I think it's where a lot of people go wrong is just dealing with your identity as you move into M three sixty five. To make sure you you got you that email address right, right, and and of course once you're in and you've got that identity, now you're in charge of being able to uh, reset passwords and adjudicate on who's whom and you know wh what are you uh, allowed to do. Mm -hmm. And there's no, you know, again as a small business, there's no help desk that I can walk down the hallway with with my open laptop, you know, doing the walk of shame to the desk saying. <laughs> I've forgotten my... <laughs> oh, no, no. I like the one where the software pops up the messages, see your administrator for help. It's like, I'm the administrator and I do not know what to do. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's it's important, right? Because the thing that, you know, there, there are some really good features, you know. So once you're into Microsoft 365, I like the the fact that they have their sort of security defaults. Right. Right. You're, you're, you're walked through and one of the steps you should be doing is enabling the security defaults. And that also drives a need to do MFA. Everybody has to get set up on their, their phones. Yeah. Which, but at the end of... And that's, I mean, the nice thing is you're a small group of people where you could say, like, we're going to do this thing. Like, you're not trying to get a thousand people signed up to MFA. You're talking about a dozen or two. And, like, it is reasonable to say, we've we got to do this. Although, there's always somebody who doesn't have a working phone. Like, you're still going to run into walls. Well, yeah. And the other question, too, that, honestly, I haven't really closed the loop on is, what what are the various scenarios? You know, if this... If the the phone goes out of my pocket and off the dock and down to the bottom of the right. lake, 
okay, what's I the workaround? Text. Yeah, my authenticator app is gone, and um, how many accounts point there, one way right. or the other, either directly or indirectly? What are all the dependencies of identity that end at my phone that's now at the bottom of the lake? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely working through the, and and I've practiced this myself. It's like take the SIM out of your phone, now make it work. Right. Like, can you live having lost that authenticator? And I got into FIDO keys and same thing. It's like, okay, now what happens if I lose this FIDO key? Like, yeah. And, and, yeah. and the answer with the FIDO key was you better have another FIDO key. So <laughs> I bought a few, but you certainly can work around authenticator as long as you have other authentication strategies set up. Yeah. And it, it's, it's tr- one of those trade offs, right? We, we've, we've uh, eliminated those those risks of somebody on the other side of the world in a place we don't trust getting into our account. Yeah. Uh, and, and the risk now comes on a, you know, have I worked through the story of what happens when I drop my phone in the lake, yeah. whether I have a, a, the knowledge and ability to get that up and running in a reasonable amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a good, good skill to have in your pocket. And, and I found I need to write that stuff down too, because you don't remember it's, and when you need it right at that moment, it's going to be a problem. Uh, writing down the process, not just passwords yeah, or the, secret keys or the recovery codes. Yeah, the passwords I'm fine with, right? I've, I've got I've got LastPass for that. But the process of when you lose your phone, what do you do? So you're not working from scratch while somebody's anxious because they only figured out they needed their phone right when they needed to do something. Yeah, yeah. And Ian, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. This episode of Run As Radio is brought to you by the Humanitarian Toolbox. Humanitarian Toolbox builds open source software for disaster relief organizations. One of the leading projects called Two Weeks Ready helps individuals, families, and communities prepare for disasters using smartphones. HTBox builds and operates this and other applications on behalf of a variety of disaster response organizations, and they need your help. Go to htbox.org for more information or to make a tax-deductible donation. HTBox is a 501c3 U.S. registered charity. Your donations help support the creation of this life-saving software. Thanks. And we're back. It's Run As Radio. I'm Richard Camel. That's Ian Williamson. We're talking a little bit about what it is like to be a small business moving into the cloud, especially this time. And you brought to light to me an article from uh, Paul Therott, who's a dear friend. And, but I don't read everything the guy writes, much less something from April of last year, of 2020. Where he had managed to get a copy of a memo uh, from internal to Microsoft saying they were going to dial back their small business efforts during the crisis. Uh, because they expected, and not that they did this report, but there was a report on it that said like 25% of small businesses are going to fail during the pandemic. So let's not spend money on that. Now, and I don't think it's as cynical as it sounds because I'm very aware of the state that Microsoft was in. in. In April of 2020, I think it was probably the scariest time for Microsoft because so much load was moving to the cloud and you can't just scale the cloud on demand. So I know they were struggling. Like I talked to friends that work inside of Microsoft that were, saying, that were hearing from administration saying, turn off unnecessary resources in Azure. We need the compute. Like the load was so high. They were on the edge and they were worried, you know, trying to dial stuff back. So I, I, I appreciate that they knew they had to pour a lot of energy into keeping the cloud growing and up. And so it's like, well, you know, it's not like we have more people and we have this constraint of operating the pandemic. Like what should be cut? What do we do less of? And what they did less of was small business support. Because all the, because it is, 
to me, and I think you're probably on board with this, and this may be the overarching theme of this set of shows, too. It's like M365 and stuff was built for the enterprise. It was built for companies that are Microsoft size. And it's hard as a small organization with one part-time IT person to use this stuff. And Microsoft seems to be trying to make it better. But this past year has not been a good year for that. Yeah, it, it, it's, uh, I mean, I can see signs, you know, they're working in the right direction. But if you want any of the, well, the best example of that, where you mm. say it's built for a large organization is as the newly anointed administrator of our Microsoft 365 account. If I go into the security, compliance and protection portions of the admin uh, console, Right. My goodness, that's confusing. <laughs> you know, I and a lot of it comes down to things that, you know, if, if you think about are they aiming to serve small businesses, I think the answer is it's not apparent yet that they are in that area. Right. Obviously, security, compliance and protection are bigger priorities for bigger organizations. Yeah. And self-service is important, but it, all this complex plumbing makes sense for them. But when it's only a handful of us, a small organization, and the maintenance of that infrastructure is just too high for us to even bother with. Yeah. No, I, I kind of, we came from um, hosted exchange. So, right. you know, the Microsoft technology isn't that unfamiliar, but I long for the simplicity of the little active sync capabilities that we had there that were basically wipe the device or not. Yes. Um, you know, you, you've got these devices that are... Um, they're they're connected. You can see them, and the only other issue you may, you may want to look at is things like whitelists and 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 block lists that are, um, you know, things that would address things that you would run into periodically. Right. And beyond that, you know, it's it, it's a little bit it's daunting. So it's just like it's so much stuff. And and it you know I, I, there's that expression about falling into the pit of success, mm -hmm. and so I'm I'm left feeling. As a small business, when I arrive in this uh, at these protection and compliance sites, whether I, this is what the pit of success looks like or not, I yeah. need some reassuring artwork on the walls that that reminds me that uh, you know, don't worry, just leave it all as at the defaults, and you'll be fine. Yeah, and in, and I uh, and I really every evidence I've had at other shows I've done show me that's not true. That. That the defaults are about minimizing the complexity to onboarding, not maximizing security. Right. right. They, and, and again, the cynical way to look at this is what Microsoft's trying to do is minimize the chance that you're going to give up and minimize the amount of tech support calls they have to take. That th those are the two drivers for them. And so your security comes in like third on that, right? It's sort of that balance of they shouldn't be so exploitable that that creates more tech support costs and has people abandon the platform, but not so locked down that that becomes the barrier. So I think about shows I've done with guys like Dana Epp, who's like a serious security guy. And it's like, listen, there's these things you could turn on. They will significantly improve your security, but they're not on by default because they can break things that would be a barrier to you adopting M365. Yeah. And, and there are also things in there that I think, you know, that I can understand that it just for a pure ROI point of view, having long and involved discussions with small businesses that it just can't, it doesn't make business sense for them. But I think, you know, one of my wishes, shall we say, is that there's a, although the, the document site, you know, those have really improved a yeah. lot over the last few years. It's impressive what's there. But what seems to happen is if you search for a term, you can land in a place where it's not clear that what you're reading has anything to do 
with you what you are what you're doing what you're signed up for yeah yeah is this in your tenant you know that that whole business of contact uh and the classic one for me is those higher level azure active directory security things like all of that advanced protection and so forth like if you're in a basic you know minimal business m365 account a lot of those features don't exist and i almost feel like it gets a bit deceptive as you start clicking through that stuff where you don't realize they're driving you towards signing up for a more expensive service. Oh, yeah. I mean, anything in the conditional access uh, umbrella, mm -hmm. it, it's so easy to, to find yourself in uh, documentation that will walk you through all the great things you can do with that. But if you're not in a high enough plan to yeah. have conditional access, you're you're wasting your time. In, and that drives some con uh, some frustration. Right. But, but you can sign up. But, but if you click here, I'll add it to your tenant for an additional $25 per person per month. <laughs> and if you don't pay close, you know, you already, your credit card information is already in there. Like if you don't pay close enough information, you're only going to notice next month that you accidentally yeah. signed up for something. And you thought you were just turning it on. You didn't realize you were buying. Right. So it's, I mean, I think we're, I agree with you completely there, but, but at the same time, I've got to say it again, you know, that, that doc site compared to what we had oh, yeah. five or 10 years ago. It, it is a great improvement. And some of those pages are very good about seeing who this applies to and, and so forth. And I think as they evolve it, that'll be key because um, not only is it a matter of what plan you're, you're referring to, but also what version of the uh, UI are you looking at right mm -hmm. now? There's a lot of documentation that makes reference to things that aren't actually in the UI anymore. And if you're one of these people who who's figuring it out for the first time, uh, there's there, you know, there's a constant supply of those to to keep up with. Docs out of date. Doc, you know, that was last week. They've they've moved the cheese again. Yeah, yeah. It, it is frustrating. Do you find yourself using things like the security admin center or any of those? They seem elaborate for SMB. Like I don't know that people go there when they're we're a one man show. Yeah, not not really. I mean, yeah. it's only when people are asking me questions about what is this phishing? Why did this email get through? Um, and then I'm worrying, oh, did who else got that email? You know, there's a phishing email that landed in someone's inbox. Right. And I'm, I'm, I find myself looking around in there trying to find relevant information about yeah. managing our, you know, our, our spam protection and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Don't spend a lot of time there. Yeah. But again, you still have work to do, right? Like it's, it's interesting. Yeah. But the, I got to think that the security default, like I've just dissed the whole security system, but at the same time, the security defaults are probably better than what you came from. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it it's in many ways, it's a good thing. It's pushed us forward having MFA. Um, there's a learning curve with it. You know, there, there are things like, um, you know, once you've got comfortable with the authenticator app and so forth, and you've got your devices registered, there are things that you still have to get used to, such as, um, you know, the power of going into an in-private browser session and not having any old cookies carry your login along. Right. Well, that that's that used to be true when it was only cookies, but now we've got tokens and things that, that seem to um, override that. So we do have new things to get used to and, and recognize when we are logged into things or, or, you know, surprisingly not logged into things, as the case may be. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and certainly still, if you have an untangled that identity problem that we opened with, this all gets that much harder 
because you're actually bound, you know, depending on what window you open, that might actually be in a personal account context, not the tenant account context. Like you can really put yourself yep. into hell. And I've done that, you know, dropping into a, uh, um, anonymized browser and then going in and seeing a completely different experience and not realizing, oh, the whole time you've been in a funny security context. You just didn't know. Yeah. And and it's even worse if you're still stuck in that world where you have two identities, both based on the same, same email address. One is a, a work or school type organization identity and the other one is a Microsoft identity. Yeah. No, that's that's awesome. We have to do some good news part about like you talk. We started this conversation about you destroying your career because you were trying to collaborate with external people. Like that's how this all began. And I would argue that this is what M365 was one of their superpowers supposed to be collaboration. Are you having success using the new collaboration tools, the sort of SharePoint things like uh, OneDrive, all that that stuff? Is it helping? It is. I mean, I think that the the we're still in the early stages, so I'm not. I, I, I'm, it's a little early for me to, to declare, you know, <laughs> success across the spectrum. But we have the backup there. We're 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 uh, we're able to collaborate. And honestly, you know, we we struggled with document based collaboration, version control. Although right. we, you know, tools like Box and Dropbox are there, but it it never really was just a smooth system. There were always you know, multiple versions of things floating around that oh, yeah. were hard to manage. And I really do feel like we're on a path to being much more effective collaborators. We, 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 it's caused us to revisit some of the ways we do things in terms of workflows, you know, where we've got course materials for our training, you know, to do with our business simulations. Mm -hmm. And that sort of thing is, is, is much better organized now in terms of being able to collaborate and, and work effectively as a team. Yeah, I mean, getting people to not use their email inbox as a file folder system for the latest version of the courseware. And just answering that question, what's the latest version of this courseware after a series of edits? Like, Right. And each course needs a slightly different customized improved version. And so how do you manage that relative to the official uh, version? Right. But, but again, you know, the tools are there and, 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 uh, you know, we're learning how to use it, but it's, you know, at that point, it's more a case, I think for us as a small business using teams effectively. And I think some of the premises of teams are a little bit different than how, than our situation in the sense that we conceptually, if you think about the work that we do, we probably have in some cases more we have to be careful not to have many more teams than we have people. Right. That's an issue you know? in a small organization. I see that super achievable too, because often any team unit you build is only going to be a handful, you know, less than 10 folks, but you could end up with a lot of teams very, very easily. Yeah. And you find yourself, you know, it may be a team of two or three people working on one project and you're, you've got multiple projects on the go. So you're sort of diligently hopping from team to team or even just channel to channel, right, to make right. sure you're keeping things organized. And it's, you know, I mean, the, the provocative thing would be to say, OK, let's just map all those SharePoint folders over into the, you know, using OneDrive, we'll just map them over so that they show up in the left pane of File Explorer. And now we have a, a better version of the shared, <laughs> the shared drive. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, that, but, it, uh, I, I think we'd be missing out on a lot if we went if we went down that route. Well, and always the question is, can we capture the conversations we have about the edits we're making and associate that to versions of documents and things? And in theory, you know, teams can do that, although it, it takes project management. Like somebody's got to take some time and go, that was an important conversation. 
you know, sort of protect that stuff to make sure it's associated to files. It's not just what shows up in the files, too. And I see some folks great at working on the wiki side of Teams. That, that they, and the stuff ends up there. I'm just not that guy. No, I've, I've seen that and quite frankly, haven't had time to go into it, but it's, uh, <laughs> but, but the, 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 the whole story around data retention mm-hmm. and long-term file management is also one that I'm anxiously awaiting an opportunity to learn about because I know, you know, it's, it's not an urgent thing right now, but it is something that I'll need to get my head around in terms of what is the long-term home and future and record of our you know, our projects and, and so forth. I, I, I Yeah, and you can see that history in a useful way. You know, I think we've got the foundations laid here. Yeah, yeah, going in the right direction. Uh, and and we're, we're hard at work to build them. <laughs> uh, one last subject before we, we, we wrap up is, is the backup solutions. Like, I mean, everything's up there. So in theory, they're doing their backup for you. But are you doing anything specific for backup as well? Not, not at a at a company level. I mean, we mm-hmm. we have individually some diligent practices about backing up to external drives and keeping them disconnected and that sort of thing. And I periodically burn important things to DVD or right. you know just something that that I know is immutable. Physical media, <laughs> On, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's I I, I do. F- I, I think we're in a better place right now, but yeah. I, I I do think that this backup story is not complete for us. Yeah, so it's a great conversation. I mean, I would think one of the things to do is to get a when you get a new PC in, see how long it takes you to get back to your tenant and that you have access to everything. Like you, I don't think you can plan for Microsoft having a disaster. I mean, that's that's a separate issue. But the idea that you lose everything. You've lost your phone, you've lost your computer, you've lost all sense of proof of identity kind of thing. Can you, as an administrator, get back into that system? Like that, to me, would be the, your, your real backup problems. You know the copy's up there, you just can't get to it. Yeah, that's much more, I mean, that's that's the, uh, that's the most, that's now our highest risk scenario. Right. It's just like, how do I recover from, you know, anything I could lose? I, I don't know if we if we can't count on the cloud, that's a whole other can of worms. And we could talk about like what would it take to keep a backup copy of email and things like that outside of Microsoft. That's a huge problem. But I think that's a much lower risk than you lose your your machine. You know, a fire takes out your machine and your phone, right? You ran out of the house uh, with the, you know, the clothes on your back. Yeah. Now get back in the tenant. Yeah. And I mean. God forbid. It's also, you know, uh, there's the topic of of continuity in the business. If some, you know, the hit, the so-called hit by a bus type problem. Yeah. If in you're a small gone, business having that. Yeah. And that's a real interesting question. Planning your own, uh, you know, you go down with COVID or something. If you're offline for six weeks, how would the organization function without you? Right. Yeah. W- where those accounts are. That's a great conversation. Probably a whole other show, Ian. But I, you know, I really appreciate this view of the challenges of small business. You know, that message, that that uh, article from Paul was April 2020. This is coming out in February of 2021. Like, hopefully things are gearing back up again in a big way and we can start talking about small business on a regular basis. You know, I've been in this long enough to remember Small Business Server and when Microsoft literally made lines of products meant for small organizations to operate on. And uh, let's see if we can't push on that this year that... We can at least have, I'd like to have a set of docs like that. So you're a small business. Here's the features that make sense for you. Here's a path to them. And I don't think that exists yet, but it's fixable. We should fix it. Sounds good to me. Ian Williamson, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Richard. And we'll talk to you next time 
on Run As Radio. 